Our sermon text for today is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. A few decades ago, the ruins of a first century home were found underneath the structure of a fifth century church in Capernaum. The home was a stone throws away from the synagogue. It was a larger than average home with many rooms. Archaeologists are very sure that this is Peter's home. Where much of Jesus' ministry took place, and perhaps where Jesus even lived while in Capernaum. Late in the first century, this home had been converted from a regular Roman-style home to a place of worship. Sacred Christian graffiti was found throughout the home in Hebrew, Greek, Syriac, and Aramaic. And the names of both John and Jesus and Peter were prominent throughout the house. The plastered walls, which was uncommon for a Roman home in the first century, were filled with words like, Lord Jesus Christ, help thy servant, and Christ, have mercy. These words were likely written by those who personally knew Jesus. And when they thought of Jesus, they thought of comfort. The greatest comfort we have in our lives is the fact that Jesus cares about us. As the famous Heidelberg Catechism would put it, my greatest comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We have seen such a magnificent, powerful, authoritative, sovereign Jesus so far. But all of Jesus' power, all of his might, his entire sovereignty really wouldn't matter if Jesus didn't care about us. If Jesus didn't know us, if Jesus really wasn't for us. Think about this. If Jesus were sovereign but not caring, he would be a despot, a dictator. If he were caring but not sovereign, he wouldn't be able to do any good. His care would never come to us because 
of his limited power. But Jesus cares. And he is able. He is both meek and mighty. Gentle and powerful. Listen to the words out of Isaiah 40. Putting these two concepts about God back to back. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense before him. The mighty God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. You might have walked into this building today wondering, does God care? Does anyone care? Does anyone notice me? Does anyone care about my life? Does anyone care about my suffering? Is anyone even aware that I am suffering? Does anyone care about me? Lonely suffering is one of the greatest, one of the highest levels of suffering in life. But the Word of God tells us that Jesus cares. He notices you. He knows you in the depths of your heart. He knows you even better than you know yourself. Jesus knows and understands your suffering. So much so that he enters it with you. Jesus cares. And we, his people, the church, we care. Let's review briefly where we are in Mark before we get lost. The opening verses of the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark is excellent at setting out his purpose his thesis statement in his first sentence jesus is the son of god but that's the only time mark tells us who jesus is after that mark uses the witnesses of others to tell us who jesus is mark uses the witnesses of others to show us jesus's identity so we meet john the baptist And he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah when he says in verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. God the Father himself affirms Jesus' sonship when as Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, the Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son. Jesus encounters a demon in the synagogue, and the demon cries out, You are the Holy One of God. All of these people know who Jesus is, except for the crowd. They're utterly confused about who Jesus is. 
all who witness these things are astonished because not only is he declared to be the Son of God, he is displaying authority that could only come from God. Jesus displays his authority as the Son of God through his teaching. That's the primary emphasis that Mark makes. Although Mark tells us very little of Jesus' teaching. But he says his teaching was authoritative. But he also displays his authority as the Son of God through his power over demons. The supernatural realm. In chapter 3, we're going to see that Jesus says the only reason why he has power over demons over the supernatural, is because the strong man, Satan, is bound. And who binds Satan? Jesus himself. But we're going to see today that Jesus displays his authority as Son of God also through his power over disease, the natural realm, all-encompassing, supernatural and the natural so in our text for today, we're going to see Jesus' authority as he cares for others in a personal way. And we're going to spend most of the time here. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time considering how Jesus cares for others in a persevering way. So Jesus' personal love. In verse 29, Jesus continues his activity on the Sabbath. Now, this would be a long day for Jesus. He walks out of the synagogue and goes to Peter's home, a common practice in the Jewish world. When he enters the house, he encounters Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She's lying flat on the bed with a fever. Luke, in the other gospel, in the same account, tells us that this was a mega fever, a great fever, a high fever. Back in those days, Tylenol was not available. So a fever was a real threat to someone's life. Back in those days, a fever was also associated with demonic activity. A fever was a big deal. So his disciples came immediately to tell Jesus. They knew Jesus was able to do something. Friends, there is a lesson here. When we have a need, where do we go first? When we have a need, what is our source of help? What is our initial source of help? Who do we tell? We tell it to Jesus. And what did Jesus do here? He came. He responded. He showed interest. He was not too busy to care for a fever. Jesus demonstrates he cares for those who are his by coming to help in time of need. You know, I was about 10 or 11, and sometimes Sunday school teachers are very well intended, but they say things that are very wrong. And I was in Sunday school, and my Sunday school teacher said, 
the reason why you shouldn't use the name of God in vain is because sometimes God could be busy concentrating on a surgery, and if you call his name, you would distract him. It's terrible theology, isn't it? What happened with being all-knowing, all-powerful? What, what happened with the attributes of God? Friends, that's not what we see in Christ. He is available. He is able. He's willing. He comes. Christ is a Savior who comes for those who are His. Can you imagine the situation? It's Saturday afternoon. You're not feeling too well, not really looking forward to visits. And someone knocks on the door and you think Jehovah's Witnesses. But somebody says, no, it's Jesus. Really? What is Jesus doing here? He's saying because he's saying he came because he knows you need him. He's saying he came to heal you, to help you. Friends, God is not too busy. Jesus is not indifferent. He's always available. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Jesus' life was a life lived in the midst of those who needed him. It was a humbling thing for the Son of God to condescend to the human experience. Paul in Philippians says that Jesus was humbled in the incarnation. But why would the most exalted being in all of the universe humble himself? Jesus humbled himself because we needed him. Jesus humbled himself because of us. There's more that can be said about Jesus' humbling, but it is true that he came because we needed him. Friends, God transcends us. God is completely beyond our reach. If God does not come to us, we cannot come to God. 1 Timothy 6, 16, God alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light. Not only is God unapproachable, apart from Him, we wouldn't even know we need Him. Our natural spiritual condition is one of deception. We think we don't need God because our hearts naturally create false gods. Our hearts really naturally deceive us by causing us to believe we have what we need apart from God. That's a dangerous place to be. We believe we have autonomy from God because of our merits. God will never reject me. I'm a good person. I'm a hard worker. I do well in school. I take care of my family. I'm friendly, social, well-liked. I've never harmed anyone. Friends, if our assurance that God will accept us begins with the word I, we have not understood the gospel. 
If your assurance that God will accept you begins with you, I have bad news. You are deceived. You believe in your own goodness. But the Bible says there is no one who is good. The reason why you believe that your assurance that God will accept you begins with you is because you have become your own God. And you must dethrone yourself. Because you're stealing the glory that only God is due. We're all once in that deception, weren't we? But Christ has come to deliver us from the deception of spiritual autonomy. The deception of self-sufficiency. The deception that He is big G God and we are little G God. Jesus didn't come to make himself available so that we could come to him. No, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, he says, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Jesus did not come to make himself available so that those who are good could come to him. No, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's how everyone is saved. We're lost, unable to find ourselves. Jesus seeks us and finds us. These verses describe us apart from Christ. Sick, sinners, lost. But friends, Jesus come for the sick, for the sinner, for the lost. And here is the reality. Unless Jesus comes for us, unless Jesus comes to us, we would never even understand our need for him. We need Jesus in order to know we need Jesus. That's how lost we are in our sins and in our transgressions. This is how spiritually dead we are. This is how deeply depravity runs in the heart of man. If you believe you are found apart from Christ, you are lost. If you know you are lost, you can be found. It's peculiar that Jesus would heal someone with a fever, right? One would think that fevers go to the back of the line. In Jesus' medical triage, the lame, the blind, the leprous, even the dead probably deserve priority, right? No. For Jesus, resurrection matters, but your fever matters. For Jesus, the lame matters, but your headache matters. Why? Because they all come from the same place. They are all part of the curse of Adam. They are all part of the kingdom of darkness. They are all a result of Satan's plan for humanity. So from the smallest of afflictions to the greatest of, afflic of afflictions, Jesus hates affliction altogether. Jesus hates the curse. 
Jesus' goal is to heal every affliction. Ma Matthew 4:23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing not some diseases, not the worst diseases, but every disease and every affliction among the people. Does Jesus care about our suffering? Yes. From the little toe that kicks the corner of the bed to grave seasons of pain and distress, Jesus cares. So Jesus grabs Peter's mother-in-law's mother mother-in-law by the hand and literally raises her. The word here is the same word for resurrection. And the fever left her immediately. By the way, this is healing, right? This is miraculous healing. When your miraculous healed, you don't start getting better once you're healed. When your miraculous healed, you get better immediately. The fever left immediately. What great authority diseases obey him. Luke, in the same account, tells us that Jesus actually rebukes the fever. What an interesting thing to do. Why? Because fevers are not part of the kingdom of God. Fevers are not part of the kingdom of Jesus. In the same account, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew quotes from Isaiah, telling us that Jesus' healing ministry is a fulfillment of the Messiah coming to undo all oppression and all brokenness. Matthew says, this, this event was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God had come and along with it victory over the curse begun. Jesus was telling Satan, your days are numbered. I have come to make right what you made wrong. I have come to set free those who were in bondage to your ministry of death. I think this text has a built-in application. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, but notice how Peter's mother-in-law responds. What does she do once she's healed? Immediately, she begins to serve everyone in the house. Now, this was a large house. This was a house for Peter, his family. Peter had a wife, by the way, which is a stab at the Catholic doctrine that priests should not marry if they were to consider Peter to be their first pope. He was certainly married. Peter had a mother-in-law. Many probably lived with Peter. Peter's brother probably lived in his house. Guests would come. This 
synagogue was not more than 100 meters away from Peter's house. And she gets up and she begins to serve. Literally, she begins to wait tables. She, she begins to prepare a meal. She begins to make sure that everyone's needs are met. The only right response to being served by God, this is the application, is to serve like God. If we've been served by God, we must serve like God. Friends, this is the goal of Christian sanctification, that we would learn from God to be like God. The word for service here, we are all familiarized with. The, word, the root word is diakonos. It is the word for the church office, deacon, deacons, like Peter's mother-in-law, serve. In a sense, we are all called to be deacons, although the church does have a special office for deacons. The same word is used in verse 13. For the service of the angels towards Jesus after his temptation in the wilderness. So what Peter's mother-in-law is doing here is no small thing. She, she, is, she is on the same level as the angels in how she's able to serve Christ. But perhaps more, more importantly, this word is used about Jesus himself as he serves many with his life. The hinge verse in this, in, this, in this book, the central verse in this book, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And what does Jesus' service look like? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets an example for us to follow. And just like Peter's mother-in-law followed the example of Christ, we must do the same. An evidence that Christ has served us with his own life is that we lay down our life for Christ and for others. We must be shaped into the image of Christ daily. As he, say, as he served us, we too must serve him and serve others. The other day I was taking Boaz to get ice cream. And Boaz loves ice cream. And I like ice cream. And I noticed, because we've got one ice cream to share, I noticed that he was taking heaping spoons of ice cream and putting way too much ice cream in his mouth and getting brain freezes and everything. And the reason why he was doing that is because he wanted to make sure that he ate before I ate. Well, when I, when I realized that, I started feeding my spoons and I started giving him my spoons. So he would eat his spoon and then he would eat my spoon. And as he realized I was doing that, he thought that that was cool. So he began filling his spoon and feeding me his spoon and I fed him my spoon. In a small way, that's a picture of, Jesus, of what Jesus does to us, isn't it? We, we're thinking, we need to hold on to these things. We need to hold on to our resources. We, we, we can't, generosity, we can't do that right now. We just don't have enough. We, we, we can't give because we have so little. 
But, but Jesus has given us so much. And he promises to bless us as we exercise generosity. Friends, friends Jesus, Jesus' spoon is bigger than ours. Way bigger. Infinitely bigger. Friends, Jesus teaches us with his giving that we will never be ultimately in need. You cannot outgive, you cannot outserve Jesus. He will always serve you in a greater way. And friends, the assurance that we will one day see Jesus face to face is that we're learning from him. Is that we're learning Christ. And is that we're becoming progressively more like Christ who gave it all. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, we're God's children now. It's our positional relationship to God. And what we will be has not yet appeared. That is our glorified position before God. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. So, we are purchased by Christ. We will be like Christ. And what happens in between? We grow in Christ's likeness day by day. Well, you may ask, Pastor Lucas, how can I serve? What can I do? Well, one of the greatest ways you can serve is by following the example of Peter's mother-in-law. Open up your home for other people. If you have a large home, you can invite a lot of people. If you have a small home, you can invite a few people. Be hospitable towards others. Show them Christ through your words, but also through your actions. We have experienced unmeasured hospitality from Christ. He has shared all that is his with us. Romans 8 tells us that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us that we share with Christ, in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We must therefore display to others the same hospitality. Christian hospitality is one of the greatest weapons the church has for discipleship, for counseling, for fellowship, for evangelism, for encouragement. And the list goes on and on. Indy and I have one day a week that we dedicate to hospitality. And the whole house becomes mobilized for that. We keep it simple. We keep it sustainable. And we seek to encourage those who come into our home, believers or non-believers, to know Christ. An invitation to a home encourages the lonely. Often widows and the elderly feel lonely. Invite them into your home. Those who live away from their family often feel lonely. Invite them into your home. Singles often feel lonely. Invite them into your home. Stay-at-home moms often 
feel lonely, invite them into your home. College students often feel lonely. Invite them into your home. Invite your unbelieving neighbor into your home. Invite your LGBTQ co-worker into your home. Invite the brother you're disgruntled with into your home and see the mir miracle of hospitality take place. See lives transformed. See relationships restored. Friends, we live in a divided society, but we have the solution. The solution for our divided society is the dining room table in the Christian home. The practice of hospitality in order to share the gospel with others. The purpose of Christian hospitality is the furtherance of the gospel. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. Before we move on to our next point, to our final point, I wanted to say a few things about healing. Now, the subject will come back in the weeks ahead, and we'll dive more into it. So I'm not going to say everything that I need to say, but I need to say a few things. Yes, we are seeing a lot of, and we will see a lot of physical healing in these passages. But do these things happen today? God heals. That is his name, Jehovah Rapha. But it is important to realize that physical healing is quite rare in the Bible, outside of the Gospels in the book of Acts. Physical healing is very rare in church history. The healing ministry of Jesus was not primarily about healing, but about revealing who Jesus was, namely the Son of God. The healing ministry of Jesus was about displaying Jesus' authority. If you're suffering physical pain today, we pray for you. We pray that the Lord would heal you. If you're experiencing chronic suffering, we pray for you. We pray for your body to be well. Friends, we should believe the Lord heals. And we should pray for healing when appropriate. But the promise of physical healing is an eschatological promise, meaning when we are in the new heaven and the new earth, all sickness, infirmity, disease will be done away with. But in this life, we'll have affliction. God never promises that in this end of eternity, he will heal all our diseases. That promise is future. On the contrary, God promises us death. It is appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. 
we're never promised physical wholeness on this side of eternity. Disease will only die when death dies. And death is the last enemy that will be conquered. Once death is conquered, we'll be whole for all eternity with Christ. Today, in God's providence, we may experience health or we may experience sickness. Whatever your circumstances may be, it comes from the Lord. He has brought it about for your good. Therefore, if you're healthy, rejoice. If you are sick, rejoice. But as we see the power of Jesus in the Gospels, we are reminded that what he begun, he will bring to conclusion when he returns. Satan will be completely defeated and the curse of the fall will be no more. Friends, if you trust in Christ, you will experience physical wholeness one day. Believe these promises. Now let us consider Jesus' persevering love briefly. This has been a long day for Jesus. But Jesus didn't pursue a life of comfort, but a life of purpose. Jesus was a man, and his body got tired. But as evening approached, the great crowd began congregating outside of Peter's home. The Sabbath had ended, and now people were free to walk about Jesus' reputation was clearly spreading like wildfire. He is a miracle worker. He is a healer. In this account, we don't see evidence of faith. People are not necessarily coming to Jesus because they had faith. By the way, Jesus' healing ministry was not dependent on faith. You can't have faith if you're dead. And Jesus raised the dead. Jesus' healing ministry was rooted in his authority. Therefore, if anyone tells you you're sick because you lack faith, remind them of Lazarus, who had no faith and experienced the resurrection of the dead. They heard what, had did, or what Jesus had done to the demon-possessed. They knew his power. They knew of his authority. Can you imagine this crowd? The sick, the lame, the disabled, the demon-possessed, all crowding outside of Peter's home. It's a, scene outside of, uh, it's a scene out of a movie. These people had nothing to offer Jesus. They're not the kind of people that advance a ministry. Jesus, let's send them away, please. We're exhausted. His disciples, perhaps, might have said. But that was not Jesus' intention. He drew energy from the Spirit. When his body was weak and frail, he knew where to go for endless supply of ministerial motivation. He understood 
the greatest blessing was to give and not to receive. The scene that we're seeing is a small picture of Jesus' entire ministry. Jesus was driven. He finished what he begun. He was not comfort-driven, but he was driven by his calling. Just as Jesus persevered in love, meeting the needs of many this day, he persevered in love, meeting the needs of many on the cross. Jesus knows our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Friends, this ministry that Jesus begun here, he would bring it to completion. He would fulfill it. And this bondage that we see to Satan, to sin, to demons and diseases, this would be broken. But more importantly, the slavery to sin, the inability to come to God, the separation that was there, Jesus would persevere to the end and destroy that. You notice in this passage in 1 Peter, he put to death sin in his flesh, and he was made alive in the spirit. His death and resurrection. Friends, the frailty of our bodies, the frailty of our souls should leave us, should lead us to death, permanent death apart from Christ. But Christ died in our place. And because Christ died, we may live. If your body is frail, if you're experiencing anxiety, troubles, friends, that's just a reminder that this is how this world goes. But the Lord is able to set us free, not just of our physical, of our physical troubles, but also of our spiritual troubles. It wouldn't matter if we lived to be 150 if our sins were not cared for. Friends, Christ on the cross takes on himself the sin. He perseveres to the end. He drinks every last drop of the Father's cup of wrath. The wrath that should be poured on us. And he calls us, trust in me. Receive my sacrifice. Receive my righteousness. Your body, your body is going to die one day, but your soul is going to live forever. Come to me and find eternal life in the Spirit. Only Christ is able to accomplish salvation. Why? Because He's sovereign, because He's powerful. Because he's mighty. He overcomes the strong man. He overcomes the devil. He overcomes death. Only Christ is able to give us salvation. Why? Because he cares. Because he's humble. Because he's meek. Because he loves. 
So the mighty God who is Jesus dies in our place as a weak man so that in him we could experience strength. Christ in his sovereignty gave up his life so your sins could be forgiven and you could be reconciled to God. Does Jesus care about you? In every way, absolutely. The question is, do you care about Jesus? Have you received him as your Savior? Have you confessed your sins and trusted in him for your hope of eternal life? Friends, today must be that day. Would you pray with me? Father, help us. We need Christ. Lord, we need him in our physical experience. But more important, we need him in our spiritual experience. Lord, what great joy we have in knowing that Christ cares. Help us, Lord, know that. I pray for those who are suffering, that they would experience the tender love and care of our good shepherd. Father, I pray, I pray that none of us would be lost because of the sin of self-reliance, but that we would know that in Christ we have salvation and we have the hope of eternal life. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.